So the question we've been asking throughout Colossians is, who is Christ and what is his mission in this world? And that's the question especially we've been exploring as we study chapter 1, verse 15 to verse 23, which we read a little earlier. And so far we have learned six truths about Christ in those verses. Uh, First, we've seen that Christ is our only true God. And we learned that from verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. Christ is not a copy of God. He is God himself. Secondly, we learned that because Christ is God, he is supreme over all creation. So verse 15 carries on. He is the firstborn or first rank of all creation. That is really over all creation. The third truth we learned about Christ is that Christ created all things. And we see that in verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Christ did not just create everything and walk away like human inventors do. They create something and then they, of course, they leave you to use it. Uh, Well, that's not Christ. The fourth truth tells us that Christ continues to uphold all things. He sustains all things, verse 17. And it is before all things, and in him all things are together. And we said that verse is really teaching us that Christ is the laminin of the universe. He's the glue that holds the universe together. The fifth truth we learned about Christ is that Christ is the head of his body, the church. Verse 18 tells us, doesn't it? And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Preeminent. Last week, we learned the sixth truth about Christ, and it is in verse 19. And the truth there is that Christ is our new temple. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We said this verse is teaching us that God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, put on our humanity so that we can live with God and worship God in and through Christ, our God-man. Christ is our new temple. Today we are looking at the seventh and final truth in this section about Christ. We're going to look at this in two parts. It's in verse 20 to verse 23. Our focus today is on verse 20. And the key truth we are learning in verse 20 there, I'll just read it. It says, And through him, that is Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We said the key truth, what I'm saying today, in this verse, which we've entered on before, is that Christ is our reconciler. Christ is reconciling creation, all of creation, to himself by his cross. Christ is reconciling all of creation to himself by his cross. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I want us to look at that truth that Christ is reconciling all creation to himself and just two headings uh, and the two lessons that will make it easier to 
And remember this truth and apply it in our lives. And the, the headings are in your outline. The first lesson is that all creation needs to be reconciled to Christ. That's the first thing we need to understand. All creation, everything, is in desperate need of being reconciled to Christ. On Monday, I was having a chat with a man I know who listened to travel to Nigeria, and I was t- telling the men about this on Friday. Uh, it's not Brother Ola. <laughs> it's another man down, who works down the road. I was having a chat with him, and I asked him, how was your trip to, to your motherland? I asked him. He's, because he had been looking forward to it. He, was, he had gone there for 10 days. I, I was expecting to say, yeah, it's such a wonderful thing. He just said, terrible, Pastor. It was terrible. From the airport to my house, it was just corruption along the way. So I said to him, I thought, I thought the general won the election on an anti-corruption ticket. Isn't that? I thought General Buhari was promised to end the corruption. What happened? He says, it's all lies, Pastor. It's all lies. Um, and as I thought about his answer, it raised a question in my mind. Why are many governments so corrupt? Why are many governments so corrupt? That was on Monday. On Tuesday, I visited the hospital. Uh, to my shame, I have not visited anyone in hospital for a few months. It is good for us to visit those who are unwell, especially those who are unwell in our fellowship. We should make it a priority to do that. And I mean, it is especially good for us. It's good for them, but it's good especially for us. Why do I say that? Well, it makes us reflect on life. Have you ever asked yourself this question? And it's a question you only ask yourself when you walk into the hospital. Why is there so much disease in this world? Why is there so much disease in this world? Why do we live in a world where your soul one day will be forced to separate from your body? Your soul is immortal, but your body will go on to decay. There will be a severance that takes place at death. Why is that? Have you ever thought about that? Why is that? On Wednesday, that was Tuesday, on Wednesday, we were doing some house shopping a little. And as I was driving back, I was telling our brother Grant, I saw an accident at the roundabout next to the Marriott there. It seems a car was caught between the bus and the roundabout. Difficult accident, traffic everywhere. And of course, I started thinking of my good friend, our bus driver here, and I thought about his work, and I, I thought it's so hard and stressful uh, being a bus driver. It's hard and stressful to do many jobs in this world, isn't it? Why do we live in a world where work is so hard? Have you thought about that? And why do we live in a world of accidents? I mean, why can't life just go on with very predictable way? Why do we face unexpected challenges? Why do I feel like the world is constantly at war against me? And I'm sure you feel that as well. On Thursday, that was Wednesday, on Thursday I was speaking to a friend who is a police officer. He lives down the road, he's a good friend of mine. And he told me that last week, the week before, he was caught to a terrible scene of crime in Clackenwell. I was telling Brother Mike about this. The caller said on, on the 99 that somebody was injured in, in Clackenwell. 
So my friend and his partner, you know, police partner went out. But when my friend walked in, to his shock aura, a young woman was drenched in blood. Not just drenched in blood, her head was nearly decapitated, literally. And I thought to myself, what has gone wrong in our country today, in London, 2022? And I didn't mention that my friend walked into a student's residence. So the question is, what has gone wrong in our world that a 19-year-old student would nearly chop off the head of another student? What is wrong with us? You can look it up. Click it one. On Friday, I received an email that said that the government is planning to make it illegal to strongly encourage people to stop being homosexuals. Just a few days before that, I heard the government has now made abortion pills by post permanent. They used the pandemic to introduce this and they now made it permanent. They have made it easier to murder babies. And I asked myself, what has gone wrong with this world? Why do we live in a world where we can defend life in Ukraine and encourage the killing of babies, British babies, in our own, on our own soil? I don't know how you answer these questions. So that just my five days I'll end there, but I don't know how you, what week you've had, what question has been generated by your, as you've observed the world. How do you answer these questions? What has gone wrong with the world? Because something is wrong. Why do we live in a world like this? Well, the Bible's answer is in Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, which you just read. It says we are like this because we are not on good terms with God. That's the reason. Notice verse 20 starts by saying, And through him that is Christ to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. There's a lot of things, and we'll come back to them, that Paul is saying here. But the key thing I want us to know just immediately is that everything that Paul says here makes one underlying assumption. Paul is saying something has gone wrong in creation. All things that Christ our God has created are not aligned to the desires of God. They need to be brought back, to be reconciled back to him. The world needs to be made to function again. And that's why verse 20 starts by saying, and through him to reconcile. There's a need for reconciliation because... Something is not properly working. Notice verse 20 also says, and through him to reconcile to himself. Who's himself? For the himself is God the Son, mentioned in verse 20. For in him, all that is Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Okay? In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to to dwell. That's verse 19. So the himself is God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who brought all creation into existence. Paul is saying creation needs to be reconciled to God in Christ. But what does he mean by this word reconcile? Well, look at verse 20 again. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, 
whether on earth or in heaven. And then he says this, making peace by the blood of his cross. Reconciliation here, first of all for Paul, is making peace, isn't it? It's making peace. The word for peace here is irene, brother Victor, as he was preaching last Sunday evening, talked about it. It is used 90 times in the New Testament. It is the same word as the Old Testament word for peace, which is what? Shalom. Shalom. And what does shalom mean? Shalom means completeness, wholeness. When God created the universe, what did he say? He declared after creating everything that it was what? It was good. It was good in his sight. The the universe was created perfect. It, It brought pleasure and delight to God. It was a world of shalom. But one day, everything changed, right? Our first ancestors, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God. They wanted to be their own God. They wanted to live only for themselves. The sin of Adam and Eve plunged the universe into spiritual and physical chaos. And you remember God reacted, of course, to our sin by placing a curse on whole creation. That's why the world is now as it is. It's a world that is cursed. All of creation has been brought under a curse. The Bible talks about this, doesn't it? In Romans 8, um, Romans 8, verse 21 to 22. I'll just read it for you. Romans 8, verse 21 to 22. It says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage. It's under bondage to corruption. So you'll be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Paul is saying, all creation has been placed under a curse of utility. Chaos, nothingness, so to speak, by God because of man's rebellion. Now, that's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing because of verse 17 in Colossians 1 verse 17, which says, and he is before all things, and in him all things are together. In other words, the universe is, is, is chaotic, but it's fractured. But Christ still holds this fractured thing together. I, I said we should think of the universe like a glass that has been fractured, shattered. But the pieces are not all over the place. It's, 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 it's fractured, but Christ, by his grace, is holding all of these pieces together. But we should not forget the big picture. The big picture is that the universe is under futility. Humanity, who, who are at the heart of the universe... Is at war against God and against each other and against the rest of creation. That's the big picture. We might say the universe is now a spiritual and physical war zone. Because physically, because it happens. There's a relational war zone as well. People are not relating to each other as they should. And we'll look at that more closely next week. We are living in a world that is infested with sin and chaos. It is a state of moral, spiritual, and physical confusion. And in Colossians 1, verse 20, what Paul is doing here is is reminding us that this alienation of creation from the Creator is at the root of all the evil branches of sin and suffering we see in the world. It's at the root of all those things I mentioned that I've been thinking about this past week that has been going 
on in the world. All creation needs to be reconciled to Christ our creator. We need Christ to make this universe a place that is united and flourishing with God again. Right? We need Christ to reconcile creation to himself so that God can look again at this world and pronounce those delightful words from Genesis. It is good. God can do that at the moment. Because the universe has rebelled alongside man. Now I think the tragedy here is that Many people, you and I know, do not agree with what I'm saying. They do not agree with what the Bible is saying. That all creation needs to be reconciled back to Christ. Yes, they would agree with us that there's something wrong with the world. They can see the same sins you and I see. They can experience the same suffering that we experience. They can see all these chaos around us. But they don't accept the language and truth of the Bible. They are not even happy with the assertion that all creation needs to be reconciled to Christ. This is the world we live in. This truth I'm talking about here, it's so important that you understand, is not being taught in our schools. You won't see this truth in the syllabus of our universities. Not even in philosophy or psychology classes or social science syllabuses. You won't see it there. This truth that all creation needs to be reconciled back to Christ is not part of our local and national government policy thinking. Whitehall is not consulting on this truth. This truth is not something that you hear on the news when you turn on the BBC. It is not being talked about across the boardrooms around the country. They are not there asking, wow, all creation needs to be reconciled back to Christ. What does this mean for our business? They're not doing that. Why is that? Well, the simple reason is that many people don't believe in the true God anymore. They don't believe in a personal and transcendent God of the Bible. The God who created all things. The average person in the UK worships creation, and they worship creation just at two levels. They either worship themselves, if you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping yourself, or you are worshiping some other created thing. But essentially, you either worship God, or you worship creation. So the average person in the UK either worships themselves, as I said, or they're perhaps worshiping the universe, or Mother Earth. Or they worship sex, or money, or science. You know, they worship Chris Whitty, for example. Or some other celebrity. Don't laugh at Chris Whitty, he's cool, isn't it? Right? Or they worship their football team. They live for other things. Creation. And so we can say with confidence that our society in the UK is not different from societies in the past. Why do I say that? It is pagan. The definition of a pagan society is a society that worships created things. It's a Romans 1 society. And the UK is a pagan society. The worship of the true God has been replaced by the worship of creation. And of course, there was a time when this nation was not like that. There was a time when we, many people in this nation worshipped the true God. They had left behind their pagan lifestyle and they looked to God. But that's changed now. 
The ancient paganism is back with a big bang. That's just double speak, I guess. Big bang. That's all part of the paganism. Right? But the Bible here is reminding us that Christ is our only true God. It is reminding us that the biggest problem this world faces, even though the world won't acknowledge it, is that all creation needs to be reconciled back to Christ. And the tragedy is that everything we're doing as a country and as a society is pushing us away from this truth. We are trying to make this world flourish again. But it is all fruitless. Fruitless. Human beings cannot bring true shalom to this world. It is a stuff of fantasy to believe human beings can make heaven on earth. Whatever our society does, it will always eat the brick wall of this truth. All creation, including humanity, needs to be reconciled back to Christ our God. And it's the same true for you as an individual. You never find true and lasting fulfillment in this world until you acknowledge this. You as a creature need to be reconciled back to Christ. You need to hear it. And you need to answer this question. Have you been reconciled back to Christ? Are you at peace with God in Christ? Have you repented of your sin and found true serving faith in Christ? You need to answer that. Are you living a life fulfilled by God? Or are you living a fruitless life independent of God? A, wash, a pagan life. A worship of created things. You need to answer that. And I, I, I urge you to re- turn away from your paganness. Surrender to Christ, the true God. So the, the country needs to hear it. You need to hear it if you haven't repented of your sin and trusted in Christ. And we who trust in Christ need this truth more than ever. Why is that? Well, this truth that all creation needs to be reconciled to Christ is here to warn us. Do not be like the ungodly, the pagan, who, are, who place their hope in created things. We must not live like the world. We must remember this universe is fallen. No created things can ever give us lasting joy and peace. We know that, but we need to believe that as believers. So don't look to these created things. We must take to heart the words of Samuel Rutherford. That spiritual giant who said, do not build your nest upon any tree in this world because God has sought the forest to death. And every tree you rest your head on is ready to be cut down. So flee to God, Samuel Rutherford says. Flee to God and rest only in the clefts of our rock. Your intelligence and abilities will not fulfill you because they have a smell of sin and death. Your beauty and relationships cannot satisfy you, because it is all under a curse. Your job, your business, your career will not fulfill you, because your work and business is being done in a fallen world. Your work and business, too, needs to be renewed. Your children, your spouse, your wider family cannot satisfy you because they too are under a curse from God. 
the entire institution of family is under a curse. It's, curse, it's being done in a fallen world. It's, that cannot escape the curse of Genesis. It too needs to be put right with Christ. It needs to be made new, reconciled. So don't lean on that. And so today, can I just encourage you, first of all, to ask yourself this question. Where in my life do I need to repent for looking to create things to fulfill me rather than to Christ, my creator? Where do I need to repent of worshipping pagan things rather than worshipping Christ, my living God and Savior? I encourage you to ask yourself that and to come to God to repent of looking to created things and ask God to help you remember this truth. The first truth here. All creation needs to be reconciled back to Christ. The second truth, uh, the second and final truth, uh, we learn in this verse that we need to remember is that Christ is reconciling creation by his cross. So we need to be reconciled. Creation needs to be reconciled. How is Christ doing it? Well, Christ is reconciling creation by his cross. Creation cannot reconcile itself to God. It needs Christ, our creator, to step in, to bring it back from the brink, to give it a proper and right relationship with Christ, our creator. That's what verse 20 is getting at. Let me just read it again. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. I just want you to, first of all, notice that verse 20 starts with the word and. And uh, as, as I like to say, and is a connecting word because it is continuing the line of thought from verse 19 where we have already been told that Christ is God in our flesh, isn't it? Verse 19 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In other words, Christ our God put on our humanity to reconcile or restore creation to himself. And we've already said that this word reconcile means making peace. But the question we need to answer now is, what does making peace look like in practice? How will we know that Christ has reconciled all things to himself? What does that look like in practice? What does that state of shalom, so to speak, look like? Well, to understand what reconciliation means in verse 20, we need to follow the line of thinking from, not verse 19, but from verse 18, right? Because verse 18 talks about Christ and the new humanity. Look at verse 18 there. And he is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything it might be preeminent. Do you remember when we looked at verse 18? We looked at it twice, actually. And we said, it was such a cardinal verse to understand that we looked at it twice. And what we said is that verse 18 is teaching us that Christ is the head of the church, his body, and through Christ, his resurrection... Through the resurrection of Christ, Christ has become the head, the firstborn from the dead, the head of the church. In other words, when Christ rose from the dead, he raised the church with him to new life. The church is now, we said, a new humanity. 
It is the first fruits of this new creation order. And we said the reason why Christ is the head of the new humanity, why is that? It's in verse 18. It is so that through Christ, right? Through Christ, it may, through, through, the, through the church, rather, Christ may bring about this new creation. In other words, the church is the beginning of a new creation in which Christ is preeminent over all things. Does that make sense? Anyway, if you are here and you listen there, you understand where I'm going with that. What I'm saying is that by rising from the dead, Christ has brought into new being, if you like, a new creation that is going to be united with him. And the church is key here because it is the beginning of this new creation. It's part of this new creation. It is the new humanity because the church, of course, is already reconciled to Christ. This new world, of course, in totality, this new creation has not yet come into full being, right? The church is the first fruits of this new creation, but we haven't seen all of it. We live in the middle, as Paul Tripp often likes to say. We live in the middle. We are in the now, but not yet. There's a new humanity living side by side with the old humanity and the old fallen creation. But a time is coming when Christ will make everything new. He will, re- will restore the entire universe. Not so much restoring it to what it was. It will literally make everything new. It will be fully reconciled to him. And that's the main point of verse 20. And through him to reconcile, we can even say, to make new to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So the point I just want you to take away from this, so critical to understand this verse, is that when Paul uses this word reconcile, he's not talking about the world remaining as it is, or everyone in the world now being saved, right? Rather, reconciliation in verse 20 is about creating a new humanity, which lives in a new creation, where all creation now lives for the honor and glory of Christ. It is about God bringing to being a new creation with no disorder. Imagine now where we can't. No pain, no sin, no suffering, no death, no powers of darkness to threaten the new humanity in Christ. It will be a new universe of joy and peace. And the final book of the Bible gives us a wonderful glimpse of this new universe. It's in Revelation 21, verse 1 to 5. You just flip to the final book and you see verse 1 to 5. Revelation 21, verse 1 to 5. It's, it's worth reading and taking it in. Just the final book. Verse Verse 1 to 5, Revelation 21. The vision that John saw says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first fallen world, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, 
and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. That's the future. That's the new world. That's the reconciliation God has planned for us. And how will Christ bring about this reconciliation? Well, we flip back to Colossians 1 verse 20. That is what he says. He says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. How? By the blood of his cross. For he's saying, Christ, on his, when he died on the cross, inaugurated this new reconciled creation. The death of Christ did this by paying the ransom price to God to rescue all those chosen by God to be part of this new humanity in Christ Jesus. And then by Christ rising from the death, as we've said, he brought into new being, a new creation in which the church, his body, the new humanity, those who have repented and trust in him, are now the first fruits of what is to come. The point is this. The new creation has already been ushered in. And if we're in Christ, we are part of this. And so just to summarize, before we look at one or two applications, just two lessons we've learned this morning from this. First of all, that all creation needs to be reconciled to Christ. And secondly, Christ is reconciling creation by his cross. What does this mean for us here living in Bexley, if or wherever you live um, here to today? Well, two things I just want to leave you with. If you're trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there are two applications you take away, you should take away from this. First of all, let this truth comfort you. Let this truth comfort you. Be comforted that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is in charge of all creation and he has a plan to make this world new again. Take comfort in that. Yes, life is hard, isn't it? Because we are saved sinners living in a fallen universe. How can life not be hard when the world is alienated from Christ? Of course it is hard. As believers, we know this full well, that life is hard under the sun, isn't it? Because the Lord has already promised us that in this world we'll suffer many trials. Paul, speaking to the Ephesians elders, he says, I think it's the Ephesians elders, he says, by many great tribulations you must enter the kingdom of God. That's the life of a Christian. But you know what happens? Sometimes we forget this. We forget that. That's the reality of life. Or sometimes we remember it and just the trial of life gets so heavy on us. And we start feeling that Christ has abandoned us. We feel like Christ has slept off the steering wheel of our life or the universe in general. Right? But this passage is reminding you, beloved, this morning. That is not the reality. The reality is that Christ is never a bystander to all that is going on in the world. Especially what is going on in his bride, the church. Especially what is going on in you, whom he purchased with his precious blood. Christ has not left you to fend for yourself. No, Christ, our creator, has a heart 
for his creation in general. And he has a heart especially for his people. That's why the, the Lord is holding the universe together. He deeply cares for our life in this fallen world. Right? Be comforted by that. Be comforted that Christ is not content to let this world carry on. Christ looks upon this creation with grief. Why? Because his bride, you see, his bride, the church, is in the middle of this chaos. And it grieves him that we, the church, are living in this fallen world. And so he has promised that he's coming for his bride, the church. As we read in Revelation, he's coming to make all things new. And, and he's comforting us that we are already part of this new creation. The plan is already unfolding. And so if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, no matter what is going on in your life, you have every reason to live with peace, beloved. Did you hear that? Whatever is going on, you have every reason to be joyful and live with peace. Why? Because your future is already written. It's already written. The future of every person in Christ is already written. And so this truth is death to all your worries and anxiety. How can we carry on with our worries when Christ has bled on that cross to guarantee this glorious future? Well, unless we don't know this Christ. Unless he does not know us. But we do know him. The sound of his name warms our heart. We are his beloved. So beloved, let us repent of our doubts and worries. Let this truth comfort us that Christ indeed has a great future for us. The final thing, I just, and I'll end there, that this truth should do. Comfort first, second, challenge. Challenge, right? Two C's, comfort, challenge. Let this truth challenge you to point people to Christ our reconciler. It is the most important thing we can do to make this world better. It's great to sit on school boards. It's great to be faithful at work. You've got to do that. Those things are important, but that's not the most important thing. The most important thing any Christian can do is wherever God has blessed us, is to point people to Christ our reconciler. And that's the force of verse 20. In fact, it's a force later on. Paul goes on to make that point, particularly in verse 23. It says, Christ is appointed a minister to proclaim this good news in the old creation in verse 23. That's why Paul is preaching, right? The main way through which Christ is reconciling the world to himself is through the preaching of the good news. In verse 23, Paul is saying, I'm preaching Christ to all creation because this is the way Christ is creating a saved humanity to live in his new creation. The gospel is the, is, 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 is the power, is the, is the only power in this world to transform and change this world. Because it is through the gospel that God is creating a new humanity that in turn will live in this new creation. And in the life of the Christian, as, the, as a Christian works, as a Christian is a man, as a Christian is a church member, as a Christian is a politician, the world is catching a glimpse through these redeemed beloved ones of what it means to live as part of God's new creation. And so the gospel is at the heart of this. The force of this entire passage is that reconciliation of all things will only come 
when the elect children of God are saved to sin no more. It is when the gospel is proclaimed under all creation, when the number of the elect, the number of the new humanity are brought into Christ, that is when Christ will come to make all things fully new. So let me ask you this morning as I come to an end. How has your evangelism been this past week? How was your evangelism in March? You met thousands of people last month, I think. Thousands, definitely. Not millions, but I'm sure you bumped into thousands during the course of a month. People who are agently in need to be reconciled to Christ. People who are on the road to hell. And they needed your love and care for their souls to share this message of reconciliation. To share this message that we see next week that Christ has come to die for sinners so that if they trust in him, they can come to know him. You had a great chance in March to share this good news gently and sensitively with them. Did you take the chance to speak about them, about what Christ has done? You met thousands. Did you tell them that Christ has come for them? Just one person. Was there one particular person perhaps you said, look, I can't speak to thousands. I've met this much, but I spoke to this one person. Well, if the answer is no, then the obvious question is, why not? Why not? Could it be that your heart has gone cold to the wonder of the good news of Christ? Well, if the answer is yes, then today meditate afresh on Christ. Remember, beloved, that it pleased Christ to humble himself by putting on our flesh and suffer not only the humiliation of being a man by the incarnation, but to suffer the humiliation on the cross at the hands of sinners. And he did that for you. Our Lord Jesus willingly bled and died for you. He died a violent death at the hands of sinners for you. He was shamed for you. He rose from death for you. He's ascended in heaven for you. He's coming again for you. He has made you part of this humani- new humanity. Well, you, he has. And he's ushering this new creation for you. He doesn't need it. It's for you. It's all grace to you. It is mind-boggling that Christ bothered to save me, an undeserving sinner. That's mind-boggling. Why? It is beyond words that Christ has not only saved me, but he, claimed, he says here that he's not finished pouring grace upon grace upon my life. He's not finished with us with his grace. Even now, he's preparing a new body for you in heaven. Even now, he's preparing a new character for you. And a new place. A new universe for you. God is doing that for you. And you contribute zero. Even your faith is a gift to you from him. Christ has given you a glorious life. Why have you grown cold to this truth? Why have you grown cold to the truth that never again 
will you suffer. Never again will you sin. Never again will you die. Never again will the world be at war with you. Because Christ has come to give you a new humanity and to make you live with him. It's all Christ, beloved. It's all Christ. And that's just a few of the many blessings that in Christ. So can I encourage you this morning to meditate on this and reflect. Allow this truth to comfort you in Christ and to challenge you to point people around you who are perishing to Christ our reconciler.